Warning. The following contains massive spoilers for the designated series. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to the Television Archive. The show where we, the television-loving hordes of the internet, take a deep dive into what used to be in our beloved medium. My name is Thomas Michael Clark, and this is Fringe. Today we will be discussing Season 1, Episode 1, creatively titled Pilot. Yes! I finally get to talk about it! I finally get to talk about Fringe! Yes! Okay, okay, okay. Calm down, calm down, calm down. This is only one of your favorite shows of all time, and you've only been trying to get this uh, on the podcast for the entirety of its two-and-a-half-year run. Also, oh my god, this should be, this has been going for two-and-a-half years. Where's the time gone? Uh, did you just... Just calm down. Not not that big a deal. Not that big a deal. Not that big a deal. Just calm down and just just do it like any other any other thing. It's fine. It's fine. God, I love this show. It's so it's so smart and so clever and has such great character work and such amazing ideas. Like its storytelling is fantastic. Uh, without spoiling too much, it evolves. So much over the course of its five-season run, over the course of 100 episodes. Like, this show, without, again, without spoiling anything, I cannot wait to talk about how it evolves over time. Because, oh boy, is the show not this for its entire run. Oh boy, does the show go through multiple radical shifts in storytelling dynamic. It has, like, four iterations over the course of 100 episodes, and it's great, and they're all amazing. Just, God, I love I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it. And this pilot, it's a very, very good introduction to the show. It's a very, very fun, really, really well-crafted pilot episode. I should say, before we get into the pilot itself, uh, technical stuff right out of the gate. Performances across the board are excellent in this series. Everyone, everyone in this show does a spectacular job. Anna Tor, Joshua Jackson... Lance Reddick, Herkace Veto, Jessica Nicole, uh, especially John Noble. Holy crap, Blair Brown. Uh, how can I forget her? Um, everyone in this show is so, so good. It's a great ensemble. It's directed very well. Visually, it is really, really impressive, particularly for, like, network television in the late 2000s to early 2010s. Like, it, it it's a very, very well-crafted series, and this pilot is very, very smart in how it introduces you to the world uh, and the characters that occupy it and the stories that they are going to tell, which are spectacular. Uh, I particularly have a lot of respect for this show for how massive of a runtime they gave the pilot because it is fairly common for the pilot episode of particularly network television uh, particularly a network television series, to just cry, try and cram way too much and try to rush through things because they're desperately trying to get into the meat of the action. They're very, they're desperately trying to get to the thing as quickly as humanly possible. They're desperately trying to get to the core marketing dynamic because, like, a lot of network TV pilots are marketing. Basically, like the show. 
A lot of times with network television, the show doesn't really start until episode two or three, and the first episode is just, like, basically a teaser for what the show is. But this show avoided that massive, massive rushing. This show avoided that massive, massive overstuffed feel that a network television pilot can often have by just doing basically a movie. Like, they basically made a movie. Like, this is a straight-up feature-length episode. It's like an hour and 22 minutes. And because they let everything breathe and they gave themselves that massive runtime, at no point do you feel like they're just rushing to get to the thing. At no point do you feel like they're rushing to get to the the thing that they're going to market as this is the show. Like, there's none of that constant network television impatience to just start already. Like, it just, it lets everything breathe. It gives itself the proper amount of time to introduce itself to, uh, to introduce its characters, to introduce its world, to introduce its story. Uh, And it works very, very well. Hell, I mean... We just finished talking about Person of Interest on this podcast, which I absolutely adore. I think it's an incredible series. Uh, Maybe the most underrated show in the history of television. Its pilot is crap. Its pilot is garbage. And it's largely because of exactly what I just said. Like, if that pilot got this treatment and basically was a feature-length film that was on television as a pilot episode of a series, it would have been so much better. Uh, this pilot could have been garbage, but it wasn't. This pilot could have been trash, but it was very much not because it was so long and because they gave themselves that room to breathe. And it's so, so good at establishing every single one of our key players, uh, particularly the main three, Olivia Dunham, Peter Bishop, and Walter Bishop. You know everything you need to know about those characters almost immediately. Like, you know everything you need to know about Olivia Dunham almost immediately. You know everything you need to know about Peter Bishop almost immediately. You know everything you need to know about Walter Bishop almost immediately. You were kind of keyed into their deal. Olivia Dunham is this very hardcore, dedicated FBI agent. Has this affair with, uh... <laughs> with her co-worker, has this affair with John Scott, which, maybe getting ahead of myself here, doesn't end well. <laughs> um, and is very, very protective of him, uh, but is very much eager to do what needs to be done, is very much eager to, whatever case she's working, get to the heart of it, uh, solve it and figure out what the hell is going on and is very tenacious in that regard. You know all that about Olivia Dunham. And then with Peter Bishop, you instantly get that he is this kind of rogue, this guy who just goes around and sort of is a misfit and does his own thing, uh, but then comes back for this whole Walter Bishop thing where he has to be confronted with his father, who he does not have a great relationship with. Basically, he's Han Solo with daddy issues. Uh- <laughs> he really is Han Solo with daddy issues. That's the best. <laughs> I did not think about that until today. And then Walter Bishop, you meet him, 
in this incredible asylum sequence that's just so perfectly written and so brilliantly helmed and John Noble, my God, just nails it right out of the park. John Noble's the best thing about this series. This this series is worth watching just for John Noble. <laughs> it really, really is. But you sort of see that this is a mentally broken man who has sort of kind of been cracked, who has sort of been reduced to nothing. His brain has just been scrambled. Uh, They allude to some mispractices at the asylum he's in. They allude to some uh, really rough treatment from the asylum that maybe uh, did more harm than good uh, for his mental state. Uh, But don't actually, very wisely, don't actually say it in this pilot. They do such a great job of showing him as this broken man who's still brilliant. Who is still this brilliant scientific mind who constantly breaks boundaries. Constantly does stuff that seems impossible. That is impossible in any uh, normal universe. Like, they introduce you to those main three and sort of get you on their wavelength immediately. Immediately get you to care about them. Immediately get you to be invested in them. Uh, and then the supporting characters that sort of round out this world, uh, well, we don't get much into depth. You kind of get, like, the general archetypes they're supposed to be. You kind of get, like, okay, this is the type of character this is. This is the type of person uh, that we need to know this person is. Like, we know generally who Astrid's supposed to be. We know generally who Broyles is supposed to be. Uh, we know generally who Charlie Francis is and who Nina Sharp is. Well, okay, we know nothing about Nina Sharp, but you know the point. Like, they give just enough information about these supporting characters to go, like, okay, I want to know more about these guys. I want to know more about uh, everyone else here. And we do spend a lot more time with them. We do spend a lot more time uh, learning more about Astrid and Broyles and Charlie and Nina. Like, we we do get to spend more time with them, and we do get to build out their characters. Uh, But the pilot very wisely focuses on... Uh, Dunham and the bishops. And then, like, oh, and also the world. I almost totally skipped this, but they they do some really solid and very minimalistic world building here. Because for the most part, this is just our world. For the most part, this is just the standard life we all lead. Except there's some really creepy sci-fi shit happening. <laughs> there's some really creepy, inis- inexplicable stuff happening that is just horrifying and seemingly impossible. There's this pattern that has started up uh, that great scene where Broyles is sort of explaining the pattern to Olivia Dunham. Uh, This amazing scene where Broyles is explaining what this is, what... He's sort of recruiting Agent Dunham for what he's recruiting Olivia for. And we have, like, all this strange phenomenon that's just, like, popping up. And we have all these theories as to what it could be. Uh, Royals floats the theory that it's like someone is 
using the world, using the whole planet as a laboratory. But whatever it is, whatever the actual thing is, the reality that remains is that very much science and technology has accelerated to the point where it is impossible to regulate and impossible to control. Which, by the way, fast forward to today, very real problem. (laughs) Fast forward to today, very, very much akin to reality. Very, very much exactly what we are dealing with today. Uh, Technology is kind of accelerating, accelerating, accelerating at kind of a ridiculous rate. Science is accelerating, accelerating, accelerating to the point where, like, now we have governments playing whack-a-mole to be like, wait a minute, is this okay? Is this okay? Is this okay? Like, they can't keep up uh, with the levels of innovation we're in, particularly in the technology sector. Uh, Honestly, in that sense, I think Fringe has gotten better with age. In that sense, I think Fringe has really, really gotten better the further down the line we've gotten. But anyway, I've spoken in generalities enough. Let's talk about the actual meat of, like, the story of this episode. Particularly, I want to start with that opening sequence, which is terrifying. (laughs) Honestly, I always forget how scary the first few episodes of Fringe are. They did not hold back in, like, that first half of season one on just being utterly terrifying (laughs) and this plane sequence is such proof like they open up with this horrific imagery of just like this dude's skin like becoming translucent and becoming this like hideous like almost like blobby monster uh and throwing up on people, and then suddenly everyone on the plane is the same way. You see the co-pilot turn back to the pilot, and, like, he's, like, opening his mouth to scream, and his freaking jaw is falling off. And, like, it's just convincing enough. Wait, let me put it this way. Is it the best effects ever in all of television? No. But it's certainly among the best I've seen on network television. Like, seriously, like, how did this get on Fox in 2008? Jesus Christ. Uh, But, like, it's disgusting. And it's horrifying. Honestly, like, (laughs) Fringe. I'm so happy Fringe got away from this. Because my relationship to the show would be much different if this was just the show. Fringe in its early episodes relied a lot on body horror. Fringe in its early episodes relied quite a bit on just visceral body scares and body horror I've talked about this before on Clark film body horror is something that I've always that's always gotten under my skin more than any other horror like I can look at a movie I can look at a standard horror movie and feel tension and I feel it a lot with like really really good horror movies I can look at analytically say that's scary or actually, like, feel some form of tension. Body horror is the only thing that can really cause a lasting impact on me. Because I've seen so many horror movies at this point. I've seen basically anything. Uh, I feel tension and that's it. I don't actually, like, get freaked out in horror movies really ever. 
Body horror is the only thing that can do that to me. Something about body horror. I've never been able to stomach it. I've never been able uh, to get over it. Like, it just always freaks me the hell out. Uh, so, when I see images like this of just, like, people's skin basically melting. <laughs> and, like, people's jaws falling off. Like, just right in front of them. Like, as they, like just look on in horror i'm pretty sure the dude's like this severed like tongue was hanging out at one point like it, it's the it's disgusting and it's so brilliantly crafted and i just have this love-hate relationship with body horror uh but that opening sequence is perfect and then once the plane lands and we see the aftermath of it Olivia Dunham and Charlie Francis and John Scott go in there and they see the aftermath. And it's literally like, it's basically like, because the skin and the muscle and the tissue, like everything that isn't skeleton is translucent. Everything that isn't skeleton is see-through at this point. So it's like, it looks less like a body and more like a skeleton encased in jelly. Like it's... It's something that sticks with you, man. It's imagery that really strikes at your soul and really just kills you and really just leaves you down for the count. And what's so great about this episode... So after this plane sequence and after we get the introduction of Royals and after Dunham and Scott and Francis all get assigned to investigate whatever the hell happened here we get the standard okay FBI is investigating the thing and so we're like okay procedural 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 we've seen this before a million times we'll see it a million times more procedural 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 and it's a good procedural but it's a procedural nonetheless and we sort of get the standard investigating, 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 investigating. We get that scene at the storage facility where we're investigating this uh, claim of two quote-unquote suspicious-looking Middle Eastern men handing a white guy a briefcase. And they go over there, investigate the trash, open up all these storage facilities and find these, like, secret labs... And then we get the big chase with our perpetrator. We get the big chase with the guy who did it, who we eventually find out, uh, because it's kind of a big reveal that he has the same face as a guy we see, the initial, like, patient zero of this outbreak. The twin brother of the guy who injected himself with insulin and then... <laughs> That's how we'll describe it from now on. Uh, but we chase that guy all throughout, and then there's this explosion, and what happens is the chemicals that went into creating the contagion just get on John, and he starts to have a very, very similar reaction, and they lower his body temperature to slow down the process, but... He's still very much dying, and it's still very much happening, just a lot more slowly. And because it's the just the raw chemicals and not the contagion itself, it's not contagious in any way. So that's not an issue. We're not dealing with... This isn't a pandemic. Don't worry. 
don't worry, we're not going to talk about Pandemic. I learned that lesson with that one episode of Person of Interest that was way too real. Uh, <laughs> I learned that lesson a while ago. But... It then, in that moment, shifts to... Instead of just a standard investigate, 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 procedural, 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 at that point, it shifts to we need to save John Scott, we need to save John Scott, we need to save John Scott. It goes in that moment from a procedural to a race against time to save this man's life. And suddenly, at that point, it becomes a lot more interesting. At that point, it becomes a lot more engaging, and it becomes a lot more compelling, and it becomes much less like every single network procedural ever just with a sci-fi twist. Which is what, if you're cyn- if you're really cynical, you can label Fringe as that. The people who label Fringe as just that and nothing else did not watch past the first season. I'm just gonna say that. And even the first season, like, it's a really spectacular procedural. It's a really fantastic sci-fi procedural that the characters are just good enough and the world is just interesting enough that you still love, even though you may have seen it before, i.e. X-Files. Uh, but... It definitely is set apart with this char- these characters in that world. Um, and then it evolves way, 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 way past that initial pitch, which, again, we'll talk about later on. But it twists itself beyond just a standard procedural. Now there's an... Now there's an emotional attachment element, and now we're going with a much, much different goal than we started out with. And this is where we start to get the, we need Walter Bishop, we need Walter Bishop, we need Walter Bishop. Uh, Of course, he needs to be, uh, he needs to be checked in on by immediate family. No one can see him except for immediate family. Uh, So we go to Iraq and get Peter... That first meeting between Olivia and Peter is so good. <laughs> I love that. The fake file she brings up is just incredible. And they bring him back. I love the moment when Olivia is uh, briefing Peter on like, okay, you were told he worked for a toothpaste company. Actually, he had a government contract and was working on fringe science and was doing all this insane shit. And then we get that amazing, amazing, amazing mental institution sequence that's just so utterly perfect. And they do such a good job. They do such a good job of writing Walter in this very scatterbrained way. Like, he starts very seriously talking about the John Scott situation and then talks about pudding and then goes back to the John Scott situation, then deduces that Peter's there and demands to see him. Then Peter comes in. He's like... I thought you'd be fatter. <laughs> and then, like, checks his pupils weirdly. And then is like, okay, John Scott, John Scott, John Scott, I need to be released so I can examine him. <laughs> like, it's just such a great scene. And so perfectly, so perfectly gives us this first window, this first glimpse into Walter Bishop's just madness, just how warped his brain became. And then everything about Walter Bishop sort of guiding Olivia Dunham through what needs to be done, how to fix John, how to save John's life. While Peter Bishop is like, 
This guy is insane. Do not listen to him. This is a terrible idea. Please stop. <laughs> Don't do this. Uh, I especially love when Walter brings up the, like, so we're now in a situation where we need the exact list of the chemicals. That's the only way we can save him is if we have that exact list. The only people who know it are the guy who got away and John. So we need to find the guy who got away. Well, actually, no. The only one who knows it is the guy who got away. The only person who knows that guy's face is John. Sorry, misspoke. My bad. Uh, So we need to sort of get that information from John while he's in a coma. And then Walter brings up the shared dream state and is like, Oh, we insert a metal rod into your head. We pump you full of drugs, including LSD. Uh, We put you in a tank full of water. Uh half naked and everything's perfectly fine. There's no way this could go wrong at all. And then Peter's just like, no, (laughs) this is bad. Everything about this is bad. Don't do that. That is the worst idea. And then Olivia's like, let's do it. (laughs) And we just go on that crazy train. And then Walter like gets all the materials and, whips up some acid and gets a cow. (laughs) The cow will become a major player. (laughs) Jean, the cow, is a major supporting character in this series. Uh, She's probably the best character, quite honestly. Jean is great. I love Jean. Uh, (laughs) I especially love when Charlie Francis walks in and is like, what the hell is happening here? And then he hears the moo, turns over, Turns back and I was like, is that a cow? <laughs> yeah, that's Jean. <laughs> Olivia just says it as if it's totally normal. <laughs> oh, it's so great. And then we get that shared dream state sequence that is so well done and is so good and just trippy and brilliant. And I love it so much. It's so good uh but in the midst of that we find out this is the guy this is his face we know who he is we can go get him the entire time we're also tracking down william bell the founder of massive dynamic uh this big company massive dynamic who shared his lab with walter And so we're constantly trying to get to William Bell. Constantly trying to get to William Bell. He keeps... Whoever this William Bell guy is... He keeps dodging. And dodging and dodging and dodging and dodging and dodging. And... Eventually... When we find out that the guy who John saw used to be an employee of Massive Dynamic, then Olivia just breaks down the door and is like, hey, I need to see William Bell. And this is where we meet Nina Sharp, who talks about how great Massive Dynamic is, and Massive Dynamic's name won't be uh, dragged through the mud, and basically is like, yeah, this guy, uh, he worked for us in a weapons program, 
He was carrying away classified information. We fired him immediately. Reported him to uh, the government. We've done our due diligence, due diligence blah, 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 blah. We were, were, learned about her robotic arm. And we still don't meet William Bell. And actually, this is the first instance of the pattern where Nina like just slips up and says the pattern to Olivia, who doesn't know about the pattern yet. And it's like, oh, you don't have clearance. You don't you, a government agent, don't have the clearance that I, an executive in a business, have. Too real. <laughs> Too better with age quite honestly so we eventually find him we eventually track that guy down we get this big foot chase followed by this great interrogation sequence where peter just sneaks in and just brutalizes him like hey give me the Give me the chemical list. Give me the compound list. And then we get the compound list. We're able to synthesize an antidote. Uh, There's a problem of, like, it's magnesium-based, so his blood might be overwhelmed and that might kill him. But we can put it in a reserve supply of his blood. Uh, Apparently the feds are required to actually have a supply of his blood just to the side, just in case. Uh, so they put the antidote into blood, let it mix and mix and mix and mix and mix, and then safely transfuse the blood. Transfuse the blood in. While this happens, the briefing on the pattern goes on. Blah 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 blah. And then, almost like immediately after, John wakes up. And everything seems fine. We reveal that John was working for some shadowy organization that was going to buy this compound. That he threatened our guy when he snuck some of this compound into his brother's insulin injection deal and sacrificed his own brother and caused this big outbreak on the plane and brought unwanted attention, blah, blah, blah. And then, as soon as John woke up and they were both in the same hospital, murdered him. While Olivia was listening to this tape of John threatening him. So this entire time. I love this twist so much. This entire time they were working to save the life. Of the bad guy. They were working to save the life. Of the bad guy. And this just like stings at the heart of Olivia obviously. Because they had this affair going on. Uh. They confess their love to each other, blah, blah, blah. There's this big car chase that happens. Uh, eventually results in this big wreck. Uh, and John bleeds to death uh, with his last words being, Ask yourself why Broyles sent you to the storage facility. 
And he dies without Olivia knowing who he was working for or any of what he was doing or what the hell was going on. Like, just this very undignified end that leaves so many questions. And this is the moment, after a really, really good Charlie Francis monologue, this is the moment where Olivia decides, okay, I'm going to work for Broyles, I'm going to work on the pattern, I'm I, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And Olivia... Like, tells Peter and Walter to stay, 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 stay. We need him here, which means we need you here, blah, 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 blah. And that's the end of that. By the way, amazing, amazing little character moment that I totally forgot to mention. Uh, When Peter and Walter are in the car while the FBI is doing that raid on Stieg's home. This great moment when Walter's like, when this is over, please don't send me back. I cannot go back. You've awoken me. Please don't make me go back to sleep. And it's this, it's this really rough moment, man. It's this really, really rough, really powerful moment that's so brilliantly done. Uh, and just seeing how Peter and Walter are sort of starting to establish some form of not-toxic relationship. Like, just starting to lay the foundation on of maybe mending fences. Like, it's just, it's really well done. Very subtly handled. In this pilot. But we basically have the setup for the rest of the series. Welcome to the show that fringes. And then we get this really interesting ending of massive dynamic having the body of John Scott and Nina going, How long has he been dead? Oh, five hours. Question him. There was mention of the fact by Walter earlier that you can question a corpse within six hours after the person dies. And apparently Massive Dynamic uses that in some way. As they have more clearance than the average government agent. Damn, this is a good pilot. This is... This is a good pilot. I I really, really like this episode. It's a very, very good start to the series. I can't wait to dive into more of this. I love this show so much. It's so good. (laughs) It's so, so freaking fantastic. And I love everything about it. I, I cannot wait to dive into all the brilliances that is this freaking show. Anyway, uh, if you like this, favorite the podcast, anchor.fm slash TV archives, so that you can be here every single Monday through Friday as I go through every single episode of this and other shows. And you can find it on pretty much whatever podcast or app you prefer. Feel free to call in as well. It's simple as just a push of a button on the Anchor app. I'll play those on the show from time to time if you feel so inclined to send those in. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram, TomTom4468, and support the show. Patreon.com slash Thomas Clark pledges a dollar a month. I appreciate everything I get through there. If you become a patron, you can also get access to the Television Archive Supplemental, which I'll be putting up there once every month. Or, if that doesn't work for you, you can also support the show directly via Anchor. I appreciate that as well. Tomorrow, we will be discussing Season 1, Episode 2. Talk to you then.